This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The exit will be very unfulfilling long-term, even if it seems fulfilling on the day that the deal closes or the process leading up to where it closes. If, if you don't know what's next, you might want to wait until you do to actually go through the exit because you see a lot of people in a lot of pain of just being lost when they haven't thought that through. This can't be it. There has to be more. Wait, am I crazy? No. If you're yearning for more and working hard to make your dreams a reality, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Dreamcatchers. It's the only show committed to helping you self-actualize and then transcend, leaving you with the legacy you've always desired. Listen in on conversations with successful philanthropists, entrepreneurs, and founders every week as we connect with them for inspiration, education, and direction. Your host, Jerome Myers, is here to help you exit the matrix and transform into a leader of your own revolution. The question is, do you believe your dreams should be real? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and we are in sunny Southern California today with my mentor, Roland Frazier. Roland, how are things out in your world today? I'm doing great. Jerome, how are you doing today? Amazing, man. So grateful to be able to have you on the show. Been admiring your work for probably 18 months and being able to hang out with you at a bunch of different masterminds over the course of the past year has just yeah. been enlightening and engaging. I've told Roland a couple of times, he's the only person that I've spent time with that makes me uncomfortable with how fast he thinks and connects the dots. And it's almost like I always need a, a pen and a paper at the ready when I spend time with him because I don't ever know where it's going to go, what he's going to say. I want to get it down on paper so I don't forget it. And so I'm saying that to you all because you might want to get a piece of pen or a piece of paper and a pen out because this is going to be an action-packed episode. So for the folks who are under a rock and haven't heard about Roland, would you give them a little bit about the depth of your background? Yeah, sure. I started out a long time ago. I'll pick up at 18. I took the real estate exam to become a real estate salesperson and started selling real estate, then kind of found that looking for centers of influence that had lots of listings versus one listing would be a better way to go to, to move faster. Started talking to real estate developers as I talked to them and found out how they operate. I found that there was an opportunity to help them sell key person insurance. So I got an insurance license when I was 19. And then they told me that they funded these things by selling securities that were limited partnerships. And I was like, what's that? And what's a syndication? And they told me, and I was like, well, can I sell those? And they're like, well, you need a license to do that. I was like, okay. So when I was 20, I got my securities license and started putting together deals like that. We did, we did a lot of neighborhoods, I think, you know, in the neighborhood of 10,000 houses that we built and sold. And over time, and then moved on to, as, as part of that, I was real estate investing and I had found a copy of uh, Robert Allen's book nothing down in the back of my dad's car and read it and was like, oh my gosh, you can buy real estate and you don't have to have any money. I wonder if that's true. And then it turns out it was. And after doing the first deal and being kind of stunned that like, I was like, I didn't pay anything and I have this house now. I was like, this is cool and I can do it over and over and played around with real estate doing that for a while. And then really through the security side of things, found out that I could apply these same principles that I was acquiring real estate with and doing developments with to businesses. And so started acquiring businesses and have, have been doing that ever since and went on and got my accounting degree and my law degree. But the whole time I've been just kind of looking at, at doing deals and that's my favorite thing to do. Doing deals. I'll you, you probably don't remember this, but at Traffic and Conversions, I walked up to you and I said, I've been buying apartments, but you just told me I can do that with businesses. And this makes so much more sense. And I was like, I don't know how you do it, but I want to learn how you're doing it. And you couldn't get rid of me after that part. So 
It's funny though, because I didn't know much about the real estate Roland. I heard about it kind of in passing over the course of the past year, but I didn't know that was the start. But you, did you do some education stuff in real estate as well? I did. Yeah. I, I, when I first really got into the online world of things, it was mostly real estate people that, cause I, I was connected in real estate and I actually, the way that I fell into the whole, I was, I was pursuing online from, you know, right at the birth of the internet. And I was doing things the old and hard way because it used to be old and hard. But, but when I got into online marketing, I ran across some real estate people that were doing live events and they weren't really doing online marketing. And just one in talking with them, one of the guys was running an event and I happened to have all of the gear, the lights and the cameras and the mixing consoles and all that that you needed. And he had lost his AV person. I was like, I'll just run it for you. It's easy. And he's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of fun for me. So I'll set it up. And so I set everything up and was just kind of at his conference and listening to him talk and that on online and web stuff was so new then that there wasn't, there wasn't a lot out there on how do you market and generate leads and for real estate investors. And I was like, I, I sitting at the back, I just wrote on a yellow pad, 23 ways that you could get leads and find deals and stuff like that. And at the break, I, I said, here, read this, look, just tell them this, this is easy. And he's like, I don't know any of this stuff. You tell him, I'm like, eh, I don't really want it. He's like, no, come on, please. I was like, okay. So I went up on stage and I gave him the, you know, the 23 ways and, and everybody just, you know, kind of around you when you come off, when you have something like that, that, that is new and they haven't really heard before. And I, he said, you know, you should do a product. And I'm like, I don't know how to do a product. I haven't done a product before. He's like, you should do a product. So I did. And, and the very next time I, you know, presented it terribly from stage, absolutely horrible, not a platform speaker at all. I had spoken before as an attorney, so like I wasn't a stranger to the stage or anything like that, but just how you do it, it's a whole art that I knew nothing about. And so I did it and a whole bunch of people I offered, I think it was like a thousand dollars. I offered this product for sale for that, that didn't exist. I intended to build it after I sold it, which is generally how I do things. And they, I had all these people coming. They're like, oh man, you were the best speaker. You made everything worthwhile. This is my whole investment in this course and nobody bought anything. And I was oh, like, no. wow, what, what the heck? And, uh, and I talked to the guy and he's like, yeah, he said, you taught them everything. They got like 4,000 things to do before they need to buy anything for you. And I was like, oh, okay. And so that was a multi-year process of finally getting halfway decent at being able to understand you know, what's the best way to do that. But, but yeah, that, that was kind of my journey into this thing through real estate events, through real estate brokerage, through real estate sales, real estate investing, building real estate. That's, that's really, you know, where I got all my initial chops in this stuff. Wow. I think so few people realize that they can go from one industry to the next and just take the, all the applicable skills and transfer them. But I'll tell you what, the guy that to me showed me that the best was, if you remember a few years back at TNC, it was actually, I think it was the one where the, the pandemic happened. And so we had to do it virtually. And I, I'm so sad that I got, that we didn't get to do the interviews in person. And so I was, I interviewed Arnold Schwarzenegger and I wasn't actually excited about it. Cause I was like, you know, yeah, you know, he's a bodybuilder guy. But, but as usual, my, I was quite myopic in my, in my thoughts, because it turns out this is a guy that when I like really dug into it and, and it's obvious, it's just, I was short-sighted and didn't look at it, but it was a guy that rose to the top in bodybuilding and yeah. won the pinnacle events there and was the highest compensated bodybuilder. Then it's like, I'm going to be an actor and then goes and becomes the highest paid actor during the times he was doing the Terminator type movies. Right. And then he's like, I want to be in politics. And then he becomes the governor of one of the largest economies in the world. And, and he doesn't go through in any of those things, any of the paying your due stage. He just like, he, I shouldn't say that he doesn't go through the traditional way of doing things. And each time it's like, he just started at the top bodybuilder, competitions. He just started at the top of the acting thing. He just started as the governor. He didn't like become the 
city councilman and then the mayor and then the senator from the state and then a congressperson. And, you know, he just was like, screw it. And so I learned so much just by studying to interview him as far as what you're saying is that you can absolutely take the skills that you learn and the mindset that you've got. And if you've got the right mindset, then there's really nothing that you can't do if you apply yourself to it. And by the way, from him especially, why start at the bottom and work your way up? Just start at least pretty up near the top. I I wonder where that came from, this thought of paying dues. I, I remember being, I don't know, maybe five years in, and I had a guy who was in the same job title as me, but maybe 30 years into his career saying, hey, man, you got to pay your dues before you get to the next step. I'm like, well, for what? <laughs> like, I don't understand why I would need to do that. But I think it's um, an excuse for people to be okay getting stuck. I think it's a way to make yourself feel better about not having the hunger, the drive, the skills, the competence to, to move up to the next level that, hey, it's okay to stay here. You got to pay your dues. You got to stay here. You know, I could take that advancement, but it's a lot more responsibility and stuff. It's not that much more money. You know, I'm just going to pay my dues. I'm going to stay here. And then it's going to happen for me. I feel like it can be a very, I'm not saying people that do that are wrong. I'm just saying it is a view that allows you to be comfortable not moving forward. I am not comfortable not moving forward very quickly in anything. So that's, you know, some say that's ungrateful and restless. I'll say it's restless, but I'll go with ambitious because I'm very grateful for where I am. And I'm also very discontent staying there. Well, and I think that's a perfect segue because you talked to me at one point about yes, and it was like, we don't have to choose. We don't have to settle. We get to have all the things. And it was tied into a conversation at a pivotal point in your journey with you and your wife. Would you mind telling that story? Because I just think it's so profound. I don't remember. So you're going to have to help me a little. So I, if I remember correctly, she was sick. Mm -hmm. And she wasn't going to be sick anymore. You guys decided that you were going to enjoy every moment of life and you were not going to settle on anything. Yeah, that, that is, that describes our, you know, our combined mentality towards things is that there's whatever, you know, whatever comes tomorrow is very likely to come until it doesn't. So I'm going to assume that since it's come for all these years, it's probably going to continue to do that. And Unless it happens otherwise, we got to be thinking that it's going to come. And why not just not settle? Why not go for whatever challenge you've got in your path right now? Why not just say, we're going to, we're going to deal with that, but we're going to work through it and tomorrow's going to come. And, you know, I'd rather it come anticipating it and seizing it than just surrendering to it. So. I know there was a book written, I think it's called The Surrender Experiment. What are your thoughts on like surrender versus imposing your will and um, how that leads to success or not? I mean, I think that we drive our own futures by the actions that we take. And so you can be a passenger in life or you can be a pilot. And it's just a question of where do you want to sit? If you are a passenger, then you will be taken wherever the pilots decide to take you. And, you know, there's a current that's out there. It's generally flowing against you. If you're not moving forward, it will just carry you back as opposed to the next place. And so uh, I, I want to always be the pilot. I want to be deciding the destination, not just arriving where life or someone else decides they think I should end up. And, uh, and I think that ultimately depending on your personality, that can be a way to find a happier life and more of what you're looking for that will fulfill you. I don't think that there's anything wrong with wanting to be the passenger. It's just that you won't get to decide. You're going to have to be along for the ride. And so... Is it safe to say that choice or decision is the holy grail for you? Is that what it's about? To be able to decide? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm, I will always push my wife and I share the maybe not ideal trait of if you give me an ultimatum, I'm going to take the opposite of what you want me to take, even if I blow myself up in the process, because I will not be given ultimatums. So I think that's a corollary of I'm going to decide my future. I'm going to be the person that that gets where I want, what I want, and I'll fight for it, whatever it takes, and I'll fight against anything that takes me away from it, even to my detriment. You know, it's like your ultimatum, you're sitting on a stack of dynamite. You must not blow yourself up. Oh yeah, I'll show you. I'm going to blow myself up. You know, it's, it's not maybe the most intelligent way to be, but it is, it's worked okay for me. I feel very happy because I am able to own my failures because I have chosen to go to the bad places I have gone and I have chosen to go to the good places I've gone. So at least I can be responsible for it. And I'm not a victim saying, you know, oh, well, gosh, these things happened to me. And, you know, I wish I had some choice in it. It's like, I, I think we all have a choice in it. So it's funny. I pick with people because I, I say a lot. I have a car that has a license plate that, say I, that says I choose. I think there's yeah. so many people out there that do not know that they have a choice. They're just yeah. programmed and they're just going through what they've been programmed to do over and over again and getting a result that they say they're not happy with, but they're not making any adjustments in order to get a different outcome. They're, but they don't know that they can change the program. I was going to say, yeah, that, and I think that's the thing, too, is that a, a lot of people are told they don't have a choice. They're told you've got to pay your dues. They're told you can't be successful. One of my sons was told by his natural father that you can't own a BMW. That's, you know, that's not, that's just crazy talk. And, you know, there's so many people that are out there. I don't think that he was told that because the father was being evil. I think he was told that because the father thought that's how he protected him from failure. And I think that most of the bad advice not to chase our dreams and not to fight for what we want and not to choose and not to decide and that we don't have a choice comes from a good place that is hopeful that the person will be protected from failure, not realizing that they're also protecting them from success and that the only way to ever get to success is to experience pain and failure. But here's the thing, whether you ride or whether you pilot, pain and failure is going to be in the future for you. It's, you, know, you, don't get to, you don't get to escape that. It's a big part of it. And, you know, avoiding it, and I like to pick on the people who numb it, right? Because if you numb the lows, then you numb the highs. And yep. you can't just do it myopically or one-sided. So I think it's really important for folks to understand that, you know, you've got to have the good and the bad. There is no yin with no yang. There's no rain without sunshine and so on and so forth. Yeah. Uh, the place that I would love to go, well, let me ask this while we're still on this mindset piece. So did you, as little Roland, were you always this way? I want to choose. I want to decide. Don't give me ultimatums. Or did something happen that you said, I'm in control. I'm taking control. I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. No, I was blessed with tremendous advantage by having parents who encouraged and supported me. I think, you know, not everybody gets that. Maybe most people don't get that. But, but my, you know, my upbringing was with an entrepreneurial father and a, a supportive mother. And, you know, that really makes a lot of difference when you're being told you can do anything you want to do versus you can't be anything. This is not for us, you know? So, so I started with that as a tremendous advantage for sure. And I certainly embraced it. It was like, yeah, you're right. You know? <laughs> That's awesome. So I, this podcast, we interview founders who have exits and I usually open and say, you had an exit. You've had a lot of exits and you teach people how to buy companies oftentimes with no money out of pocket or none of their money out of pocket, which is really interesting. And you're seeing more and more people pop up and talk about it, but I haven't seen money people. <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen people talk about it with the level of precision that I, I see you, you do it. And it's part of the reason why I wanted to learn these strategies from you. Now, I 
the first thing is, well, you didn't read this in the book. So how did you learn how to do deals? Because it's one of your favorite things. And it's not just deals, it's profitable deals. Because you'll get on stage and say every X amount of dollars helps, which just kind of blows my mind every time you say it. But it's not just about doing a deal. It's about doing a deal that earns you money. You actually made me write out how much money I was going to make for my next deal to put things in perspective for the audience. Yep. So yeah, so, how, so yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Just, I just want another question. The question is, how did you learn how to do deals? Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, for, for me, I would say that I did start the journey in a book because I've always been an avid reader. I've always been a consumer of, I don't know why, but maybe it was because my father was a, a practicing tax attorney. And so I got to meet lots and lots of entrepreneurs. The, the clients he had were successful enough to have tax challenges. And so, so I was fascinated by how these people from all these different possible pursuits were out there in business making money and they didn't come into his office in suits, even though he wore a suit, they didn't come in, you know, they seemed generally relaxed and happy. I'm guessing they were probably all stressed out since they had the government on them. But, but I really liked the idea that you could not be employed by someone, that you could be your own boss and that you could be able to make money doing kind of anything. And so that was a huge advantage to me, I think, to be able to see that and think that's what I want. That's what I want to do. And I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I was playing music in a band for pay, you know, most of, most of my adolescent life. And, and so I was like, you know, well, I'm probably the odds of being a rock star are not in my favor. So I'm going to, you know, have a nice backup plan and I'm going to go and, and I'm going to go to school, but I also like money, more money than I got paid playing music, but playing music was late in the day and working was earlier in the day. So I decided that I was going to do all of those things. And, and I really liked real estate as a place to start because I was able to set my own hours and determine how much I could make. There wasn't a cap on what I could make, which I also really liked. And so my education started in books with nothing down, creating wealth, and then all of the business biographies, the whole Lee Iacocca thing with Chrysler happened when I was younger and he wrote a book and I read it and was like, oh my gosh, that's good. And love him or hate him. The art of the deal by Trump came out and I was like, well, that's cool. Look at this guy. He's, you know, he's doing cool things. And it talked about how he bought the airspace above the Tiffany store in New York. And I was like, that's just so creative. It's genius. It's amazing. And he's kind of like, yeah, the first couple of years I showed up for, I rented the office and showed up for work with my briefcase with nothing in it, except a book to read or something like that. So fake it till you make it, you know, which is another way of saying act as if you're successful, think the thoughts of success and take the actions of success and it will likely follow, which I do believe. So it started there and then it was just doing, I've always been a doer. I'm not satisfied to just read about or learn about or hear about something. I want to do it. I want primary proof. I don't want to have to trust an interpreted version of what it is to be successful. I don't want to have to rely on an interpreted version of what is going on in the world. I want to know firsthand. I want to see the world. I want to see the success. I want to do the things that they say you have to do. So I was hungry for that and still am. And even in the AI stuff we're doing right now, people are like, well, you could do this and you could do that. I'm like, screw it. Let's run some tests. You know, let's do this thing. And, and so I, I think that my experience and knowledge is 80% experience and 20% education, but it's a whole lot of voracious consumption of everything I can consume about the thing that I'm trying to focus on. So, you know, hundreds of books on psychology, at least hundreds of books on business. And then also think about my education. You know, I'm learning in school. I'm like, my, my dad gave me great advice when I was, you know, maybe 12 years old. He's like, look, son, if you can read a financial statement, then you'll understand how money works and you'll never be able to have anybody that, you know, that, that tells you something that's not true about what a business is making. I was like, well, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And he's like, look, son, you know, if you know the law and particularly tax law, you'll be able to do things that other people don't understand because they don't understand how these things work. And 
And the combination of those two, he didn't tell me this, but I figured it out, right? The combination of having a background in accounting plus law and then sprinkling onto that all the things I had to study to pass the real estate exam, the security exam and all those things, and then doing those things. I mean, it doesn't take long to get your 10,000 hours. You know, let's just say, you know, I'm well over my 10,000 hours and all those things. And so I think that it really comes from do get mentored. I had great mentors that I found along the way, the real estate broker who was the crusty old crudgemudgeon that ran the real estate firm that I got my license hung with first, the securities attorney in New York that, that helped me get my securities license hung there, the investment banker at Prudential Securities that took me under his wing and showed me how to do leverage buyouts and you know management teams and meetings and having lunch in Wall Street up on the whatever floor in the cafeteria of that investment banking house with all these multi-language conversations taking place around me, which was all new to me because I was from, you know, Virginia. So it was, it was really that combination, long answer to your question. So I apologize for that, but really you got to do it. I mean, if you're going to be, if you're going to be successful, you have to do it. And so you can study all the, how to talk to a seller or how to sell, but until you get belly to belly and start doing it, you're not going to really know it. And then if you've got the benefit of a voracious appetite for how can I improve, and then you say, I'm not constrained and I'm going to ask why we do all the things we do. And then I'm going to think of crazy experiments. Like what if we applied this to this? What if we crossed a, you know, a frog with a dragon, you know? A lot of people want to unlock their ultimate potential, but lack the strategy, support and stamina necessary to achieve their major goals. They often try to overcome these challenges by trying to do it on their own, causing frustration, fatigue, and eventually failure. We have developed a model for a center life, AKA the red pill, to help them bolster their beliefs, gain clarity on their path to success, and provide accountability as they take action on their goals. When they take the red pill, they rapidly accelerate attainment of their goals and begin to experience a life of significance and impact. Want to find out more? Hop over to JeromeMyers.co. Now, let's get back to the episode. I just want to see what's going to happen. And so I fail a lot, but I don't care because I expect to fail a lot. But I know that I'm going to be successful every now and then. And as long as the failures don't kill me, then it's all education. Yeah, this is so good because I think people expect to be like edu formal education teaches you that you got to get nine out of 10, right. In order to be an A student. And, you know, if you get two deals, right. Like you're killing venture capitalists every day of the week. Cause they get maybe one in 10. Right. It, it's a good, yeah, it's a good point. I like that. It's just, it's the system back to the programming is backwards in a lot of ways. And if you're willing to run experiments, and, and take some risks, you can actually win big because you only have to hit big once or twice to change everything, right? So, so you and I were at a mastermind a couple of days ago in Miami, and I think you were in the room when, yeah, uh, this was when Damon John said it, he said, look, he says, people look at me as all the success. He said, I've had one win, I had one win with FUBU. I sold that. I made a ton of money, but that's all I've got. You know, it's like, and everybody thinks I know everything. So I just had one win. Yeah. But he obviously leveraged it well, but I thought that was great because and I've said that too. It's just like most people have only one. I, I can think of maybe five, you know, pretty significant wins that I've had, but, and lots of small wins, lots of base hits, but you know, it's, it really only takes one. So congratulations. If you've made it through however many years of life you're at, and you've got at least maybe another one left, you can still hit that home run. And so it's just getting yourself positioned and self-educated does definitely doesn't have to be formal. I would say if you could self-educate, you can do it a whole lot faster than you can do it through the formalized system. And I would just skip it at this point in my life. But, but, you know, I'm, don't tell my kids that, right? Direct knowledge, well, direct education for the outcome that you want to get. It's just a different level of efficiency. I, mm -hmm. I haven't used my differential equations or my Cal three ever. So <laughs> And it, it was part of engineering education, but you know, so such is life. Now, 
you know, I asked you about like learning how to do deals. You've done a lot of deals, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you ever talk about the number of deals, but you, you've done a lot of deals and you've learned a lot about deals and you've helped other people do deals. And so I guess the, it, do, do you, have you recognized a pattern for deals that are going to be profitable or enjoyable to own? And if you can lace in this button pushing conversation that you talk about regularly when you talk about buying a business. In terms of, I mean, I like what our mutual friend, Mark Anthony says about PFM, people fund money, My, you know, where I've kind of evolved to is that, and, and I saw it when I was practicing law and I learned in representing thousands of clients that people generally don't sue people that they like. And I know that the less litigation is in your life, the happier you're going to be. And so I also learned through people that were best friends, mother, father, you know, brother, sister, all that kind of stuff that fell apart and that even the closest relationships can be driven apart by disagreements that come about because of incongruent expectations. And so having a person that you like who thinks and has the same values that you have, if at all possible, that you've tried to do something with and it didn't work out, particularly if you lost money together, then, and you can still go forward and be happy and be friends, then that's going to be a good relationship. And then the next thing, is it going to be fun? Because so many people choose things for the money or because they think that's the one opportunity that's going to come. And if they don't take that, they're going to miss out forever. Even if it's not really like a a fit with what they enjoy doing that, that it's got to be fun too. And then it has to make money. And I know a lot of people that that deal with people who they like and they have a wonderful time, but they don't turn that into money. And therefore they don't, you know, they don't very often have the financial success that they would like to have or that they even need to have. So if you think that those are the three things that are the critical elements of any deal, I think as a meta analysis, that's the thing. And then we get into the deal specific analysis of, you know, well, Ultimately, throughout your deal life cycle, it's going to be an ever-changing acquisition criteria based on what level of success, skill, access, networking, et cetera, you have, right? Yeah. I see a lot of founders exit the thing that they spent 15 to 25 years building, and they don't know what to do next. They're lost. We call it Mm -hmm. a founder's exit paradox. Um. You've seen people exit and you've seen them be in this state of uncertainty or loss. What do you see as a solution for folks that are in that space? I think when people come to me, because I do a lot of exit consulting and helping people with exits too. When I talk to somebody who is contemplating that they've received an offer or they're like, you know, hey, I think I want to do that. I even had, I had a conversation with somebody today about that. And, and I say, you know, no, well, why do you want to? And, and then if the reason is pretty much anything other than I'm bored or this, you know, and I'm just kind of done with this, or it's adversely impacting some important other thing in my life, whether it's family or health or anything like that, if it's not something like that, or I kind of have to sell because of money, or I kind of have to sell because I think that the sky is going to fall then I'm not trying to think if there's anything else, but those are really the primary things. Then I say, you know, look, if it's not one of those things, then what are you going to do next? Because if you don't know, and you think you're just going to retire, there's a good chance that you're going to regret doing this. And I think that's a big thing is, is really understanding why you want to sell and what's the desired outcome. Because if the desired outcome is a pile of money, but you've already got a profitable company. What if it was five years from now and you still had a profitable company, but you also had five more years of money that you got from it? You know, so if you're not like, if you just need the money to have a pile of money, you're probably going to be somewhat unfulfilled and bored unless you've got another place to go. But if they've got another place to go, well, I've always wanted to well, in, insert thing that is lifelong dream here or passion, right? I always wanted to start another business that's this or Whitney Wolf heard that just retired from 
Bumble as the CEO because she wanted to get back to her entrepreneurial roots. Great. She's tired of running a big bureaucratic company. She wants to go back and start something new and she's got a million ideas. That that makes sense to me. Like I would say that's a good that's a good reason to exit or you know you want you want to be with your family or you want to start a foundation and that's what you need the pile of money to do and then that's going to be your thing. But if you don't have a thing and you're a driven person that was successful enough and driven enough to create some successful business, then you're probably going to be bored out of your mind as most people who've sold their business that I talked to who didn't understand the next thing at the time. Like if the next thing is I'm going to play golf and take a cruise around the world, that's, you can just take off, you know, go take off and play golf for a year and then come back, go do your cruise and then come back. You know, well, I can't because the business would suffer. Well, then you don't have a good business. You've got a job. So let's fix that. Right. I think I think it's just that people leave for the wrong reasons and they don't really think it out and they don't think about what makes them who they are as an entrepreneur is it, there's a lot of purpose in what they do. And it's not that the purpose is the business, but it's that they need a purpose. Their purpose is to go and create. And so they're like an artist that gets that says, you know, you know what? I painted my last picture. I'm going to cut my arms off. Why? why would you do that? Right. You know, what if you want to paint again? You know, what if you just put the paints away for a while and go do something else? So I think that's the thing is that, that what they do is when they sell, they've ended the opportunity that they had and they've ended the momentum that they had within that opportunity. And so one of the things that I'll frequently do is say, let's think about what you're going to do next. And let's see if we can create an exit that allows you to maintain the momentum that you have here and not give that up, even though you're giving the financial benefit of whatever you had to this buyer. So might we, like, if it's within the same kind of business, might we still have access to the list to market to? Might we still be the face of the business? Might we, for a period of time, be the face of the business? Might we have this business help launch the other business by being a big client for that, like a consulting client or a buying client or something like that. It's like, how can we use the momentum of what we've got right now, even if it's maybe this business becomes the biggest donor for that so that it's so that now I can say I've got this business as my big donor, but now I've freed myself up to go and raise money for other causes. Like just how can I take the assets that I've got right now and not have this cutoff that removes me from them, even though it leaves me with a pile of money because the pile of money isn't terribly fulfilling. It's the thing that you were doing that was fulfilling, right? It doesn't solve any problems, right? If you've got a problem and money can solve it, then you don't have a problem. Problems are the things that money can't fix. And the moment that you get a bunch of money and you have a bunch of time, you really find out what's going on in your world because you don't have the distractions that come with running a company and making it work and all of the ancillary things. But we see that they, so you said the company isn't their purpose, but I think a lot of people mistake the two, right? I, I agree. Think they yeah. see the business and it's not only they see it as their purpose, they see it as their identity, right? So they lose their identity. They lose a lot of the relationships because they don't have the title anymore. And those people typically don't want to have lunch with you if you can't award a contract. And the work or, or let's going. be super nice to those people and just say they're all busy. They've got their life and their network and everything. And now you're not a part of it anymore. Yeah. So it would be quite a bit of effort for them to get together. And now what do you talk about? Because your whole relationship was predicated on this business conversation that you had. So if you can't, when I stopped practicing law, my my good friend told me, he was like, I'm really sad because, you know, we're not going to see each other anymore. And I was like, we see each other every day. We'll always see. He's like, no, we work together every day now. And so we see each other and we're, you know, talking all that kind of stuff. But, you know, when that's not the case, we will not be close unless we really try. And that was absolutely correct. We, you know, we have to make time for no reason at all to get together and have a lunch or see a movie or something like that. And we would never run across each other in our travels together if we didn't do that. Right. And it's like, Nothing wrong, not that I don't like him or he doesn't like me, just, you know what? Our lives don't intersect anymore. And I think that's like, I think that's the big disconnect from a lot of entrepreneurs that exit and find themselves lost is that they don't realize how much of their social uh, life and their general feeling of utility in themselves 
is connected to the businesses that they've built. And so when you sever the ties of the business and all of those intersections cease, then it's way deeper in their life than they anticipate because it's not just going to work. It's my friends and their friends and my spouse's connections to the people that I work with and the things that I did with the people from work to support charities or do other things. You know, it's like, it's way deeper than anybody ever thinks. And so that's a thing that you got to think about. It's absolutely a thing you have to think about. It, you took the words out of my mouth. You said you got to figure out what's next. And so is that always something that comes from within or have you seen people solve that problem in some other way? I've seen people solve the absence of what's next with, with all kinds of terrible things that didn't help them. And, you know, I, I think you have to find that thing. I just don't think as humans, we're meant to be adrift. I think we need something that we're moving towards that means something to us. So what you just said, I believe is a dirty little secret of exits. And it's all of the things that people do to self-destruct or create collateral damage as a result of not having a place to put that energy that they've been putting into a business or enterprise. Why do you, I don't know if it's a fair question, but I'll ask, because I think you are close to the folks and you're close enough to folks to see this in real time. Why do you think nobody talks about the risk of, I'll call it going off the cliff? Like, I feel like there should be warning signs saying, wait, hold on. But everybody's just kind of pushing to consummate the deal. I think because the goal is the exit, that the goal, that, that the horizon that they're looking at is the exit and the goal is the exit and they don't see anything beyond, but a kind of an amorphous feeling of what it might be like to be relieved of the challenges, stresses, and problems that they have in the business that they've got. They're not thinking, they're thinking, you know, I'll be done with all of the issues that cause me problems. I won't have to manage these people anymore. None of the threats and challenges. It'll be great. And I'll have a big pile of money and then I can do whatever I want. You know, I think that's it is that there, there isn't, then the goal is the exit and every, all eyes are on the exit. And then not until it closes. And actually a little bit after that, with most of the people I talk to, does it really sink in? particularly because a lot of them have some amount of time that they're to stay with the place that they exited and they realize that they're powerless. It's frustrating because many decisions that they would not make or they disagree with are made and they can't do anything about it. They just have to watch it happen. There's a dramatic change in the culture and direction of the company they've got and they don't have anything to do. So like they're there with, they're there, but they're powerless. And then they realize that they don't really have a place there anymore. As a matter of fact, it's kind of awkward and maybe they get let go earlier than the amount of time that they were contracted to be. And now they don't do the routine and all the habits that they had of getting up and going to work every day. I mean, that's a pretty big disruption of your life. Yeah. I was actually talking to... A, a mutual friend today and he put in his resignation. He just had an exit a couple of months ago and he said the position that I'm in isn't what they marketed or sold it to be. Yeah, and I had enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'll say, I, I will say it seldom is the position that you were convinced you would have. I don't know how much that is like an intentional misrepresentation versus how our minds hear what they're saying. Right. What my memory of one of the exits that we had was, look, we're really just financial people and, and everything will stay the same. Nothing's going to really change. And, and we're like, well, that makes sense because they're a big company and you know, they don't have time to mess with that. And then they changed a whole bunch of stuff. And, and you're like, well, what happened to it wasn't going to change. And they're like, well, I mean, we said we were going to do this and this. And I think that we hear what we want to hear a little bit. Maybe they represent, maybe they don't realize maybe that let's, that's a good way to look at it. They don't realize 
how much we expect things to say, stay the same to them. There is a plan and a program that they use when they acquire companies to us. This is for most people, a once in a lifetime event, and it's affecting all of the things that we've been doing for all these years that we've been building it up. And now it's not a big deal to them. Doesn't seem like a lot of changes to them, but to us, it's like, this isn't at all what you said was going to happen. So, you know, but how naive for us to expect that somebody's going to come in and write a big check and give us a bunch of money and take the risk and take over and not do things the way that they want to do it. Right. Or not think that they could improve on the things that we were doing. Because why would they just buy it if it wasn't going to just was just going to stay where it is now forever? Right. So I think it's uh, I think it's probably a little bit on on both sides there, but it's definitely not going to be what you think it is. Like if you're going to exit, whatever you think is going to happen after that, it's going to be way different. You're going to be way more disconnected. It's going to happen way faster than you think. You are definitely not going to be needed at that company, no matter how indispensable you think that you are right now. And you better have an idea of where you're going to go next, because if you don't have a bigger purposeful idea than I'm going to play golf and travel, then you're going to, you're going to be lost for a while and you're going to need some help. And I think that, I think that some sort of therapy for people who are getting ready to go through this would be, and I know you talked about doing something like that. I think it, it would be very helpful for the people who are in the business of helping people exit to recommend, hey, to help you with this, you should get definitely talk to a professional who can help you figure out your place in the world after your place in the world changes. Yeah. At the release of this podcast, we'll be making an ebook available for folks. And it's titled, What's Next? Finding Fulfillment After Your Exit. And I think it's going to give them a roadmap on how to walk through that process. And I think it gives them a head start. I think you're right. Well, I really so, appreciate you having me hang out here today. It's nice to get to talk about all this stuff. Yeah, man. I wanted to ask one more question Yeah, that I think is just um, going to be so powerful for folks. So you introduced me to this concept I was aware of it, but you explained it in a way that I'd never heard it before. And it just made so much sense. And it was along the lines of you go from thinking about the products that your company sells to thinking about your companies as products. Yep. And so for the listeners, when you, after you get your check, the thought is that you don't just have a nest egg and you try not to run out of money, but you deploy some of that capital to recreate the cash flow that you gave away. Mm -hmm. when you sold the company. And so you've got these different companies that capital is deployed into. And the thought is that you can buy and sell those. And like, those are the products of it. I believe that most people aren't, I'll call them resource allocators. They mm -hmm. don't really understand like the skills that are necessary to evaluate the companies post exit. And so right. I, I guess the question I would ask you is like, how does one figure out how to do that so that they can actually have companies that they treat as products? How do you learn do the skills to be able to evaluate the deployment of capital? Because I don't think financial advisors are not going to do this for you. Right. No. Like this to me is a total departure from, Hey, I got my financial advisor. Or I got my private banker type situation. I think it's, I mean, I think with, as with anything, it's good to read up on it. It's good to find somebody that has done it before so that you have a mentor. It's good to try to find a community of people that are similar into similar things so that you can learn from each other. I like that. You know, what's the model? Who's my mentor? Where's my mastermind? Those three M's to me are the foundation of a lot of the things that we do out there. And so I think that's it is, is if you have not had experience as an entrepreneurial investor, then just like you learn anything, get your feet wet, take action, make some investments, get some mentors who have been there before and find a community of people that you can bounce things off of and hold each other accountable. I think that's really what it takes. And, and just like we were talking at the beginning, right, is you have to do it. 
you, you just, you know, can't just read about it. Can't just talk with the mentor about it. Can't talk with all your buddies about it. You got to go actually do it and expect that it's not going to work out a couple of times before you, you know, before you, you have your success. But ideally, and what we teach and what we try to help people do is to give them all the things that I just talked with you about, but also to create a method for doing it that will not be financially disadvantageous if things don't work out. So we talk about SPVs and and cash-free acquisitions and things like that. And doing things like that can help you get your feet wet, get your reps in and not get your nose bloodied too much as things come at you. Thanks for that. Roland, as we land the plane, man, if people want to learn more about you and buying businesses, what's the best way for them to do that? So the site where we talk about most of this kind of stuff is epicnetwork.com. Like you, we have a podcast called Business Lunch Podcast where we get to talk about fun things and we got to get you on there too. So let's figure out oh, how man, to do I'm that. Super grateful for that. And then we, and then we have, you know, we have programs and challenges and things like that. I'm all over socials at forward slash Roland Frazier. We've got a YouTube channel. That's the only one that's not Roland Frazier because even though I own forward slash Roland Frazier, Google won't let me change it. It's Roland Frazier epic there. But yes, that's the best way to find out what I'm up to. Outstanding. Oh, I, gotta, the, I have to also. Is there a book? This. I'm not being a good uh, author. I have a book that won't come uh, into focus on my screen. Let me try that. There we go. It's business wealth without risk. Can I hold it like that. No, it won't. What if I hold it like that? Yeah. Aha. That I wrote with Jay Abraham that has a pretty good summary of all of this stuff. Like it goes through acquisitions and then into growth and scale and then ends with exit. So I'm very proud of that. And I think it's a good representative of a lot of the concepts that you and I are talking about here. Outstanding. The final question that I ask every founder who's had an exit that joins us is, what's the one thing you want the listeners to take away from the episode? Really, of all the stuff that we talked about, if they're thinking about exit, I really would like for them to re-watch, re-listen, rethink about what are you going to do next? It's when you and I talked about what to name your thing, I was like, I really like now what or what's next. I really like that with a subtitle that talks, that speaks to the exiting entrepreneur. And, and I still like that. And, and I, that's really what I would like for people to take away is that, that you'll probably be lost and the exit will be very unfulfilling long-term, even if it seems fulfilling on the day that the deal closes or leading up to the process, leading up to where it closes. If, if you don't know what's next, you might want to wait until you do to actually go through the exit because you see a lot of people in a lot of pain of just being lost when they haven't thought that through. Standing ladies and gentlemen, you heard it from Roland himself, figure out what's next. Um, yeah. Roland, you're a true dream catcher, man. Thank you so much for giving us the mindset, talking through the technicalities of doing deals and just making sure that we know, like, after you build the thing, exit, you better figure out what's next. Yeah. Um, to the listeners, your dreams should be real. We'll talk to you on the next episode. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.